name is Neil Middleton and every month we create informative content for you as we talk to important, influential and inspirational people from the world of bats as well as other areas of interest. To find out more about Batability, go to batability.co.uk. Now for the interview, let's do it. And hello, hello, hello. Welcome to today's Talking Bat. And I am so excited today to be talking with Rachel Cooper Boaren from Bats Without Borders. Rachel is someone who I first met, goodness, 2013. Round about there, Rachel, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and uh, and I remember back then uh, you got in touch with me because you had this you had this idea or something to do with bats in Africa and spreading the word and trying to improve awareness of bats and the image of bats and all this kind of stuff. And, and I think back then it very much was pretty much just an idea. And goodness, it's now 2021. And wow, you must have a lot of stories to tell. Yes, well, thank you very much, um, Neil. It's great, great to, to be invited back. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, so it was really nice. Thanks to Sandy Sowler um, putting me in touch with you. you. You kind of helped us to, to you know, look at our strategy and, and actually get, so it was the year we actually then uh, registered Bats Without Borders, but it was just when we were first chatting, just an idea. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So no, I was really excited and uh, we've got a lot of things to talk about. And I've done a little bit of prep uh, today, about today's interview over the last few days. I mean, you would be disappointed if I didn't do any prep for something like this. And yeah, I found out a few interesting things about you over the last few days that we're going to talk about. And obviously, we're going to talk about Bats Without Borders as well. That's going to be a big part of uh, what we're doing today. So let's uh, move on to uh, the first area I want to explore in the beginning. Tell us a little bit about your life uh, before before your PhD work, before, I mean, where did you start off life? Where are you from? So I was actually um, born in Zambia. Um, and so when I was, uh, I lived there until I was three. Um, yeah, so a beautiful country. Um, and then because um, my dad's work, we then moved to South Africa. So that's actually where I grew up in very rural KwaZulu-Natal. Wow, okay, wow. And look, for those of us that aren't from Africa, and I've been fortunate enough to have visited various uh, countries in Africa, um, and it is a very, very different place to a European experience. Um, but those of us, I would imagine, in the uh, ecology type sector, we just look at somewhere like Africa and just go, wow, that would just be an amazing place to live and to grow up in because of the vastness of the country and the amazing wildlife and all this kind of stuff. Was this something that captured you from a, a very young age or was it one of those things that because it was always there, you were a bit blasé about it? Well, I think I, I was quite lucky because um, my dad in particular is very, very uh, big into wildlife. So actually, all of our holidays were visiting national parks or uh, protected beach areas. And so we actually spent a lot of time 
pretty much all of our holidays, uh, you know, animal spotting, uh, particularly, sort of, you know, we're all big on mammals, uh, it, you know, so we used to have competitions of who spotted the first, whatever, um, you know, as we we're going around. So, yeah, so lots of fantastic family time, but also, uh, yeah, just, just really enjoying the outdoors um, and the beauty of, of mostly, you know, South Africa, but we did travel to, you know, um, other, other countries like Zimbabwe um, as well. But South Africa, like you say, is such a vast country, there's a lot to explore. So we actually spent, you know, quite a lot of time, um, even just in our, our local national parks going for weekends, um, which was sort of about an hour away. Um, but yeah, no, very, very lucky indeed to have had the upbringing that I did. Yeah, and did you always, as a child going into a teenager, did you always have this vision for yourself that you would uh, work in some shape or form uh, within, let's call it, the wildlife sector? Was that always the dream? Or no, the, oh, yeah, okay. no, funnily enough, actually, I, I always, um, I really enjoyed teaching and, and uh, I always actually thought I'd go into to teaching and training, you know, like at, at, at college um, and or at a, like a youth centre, that kind of thing. So I quite enjoyed uh, working with young people um, and doing training. So I think I really felt that actually being an ecologist was maybe beyond sort of the, you know, any experience that I'd, I'd had before and didn't really think about it until I probably was in my early 20s. Um, and then I was, you know, quite keen. Um, but yeah, so I think I was, it kind of came much later in life. So I actually did a, I was a mature student um, eventually. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit about the the journey into academia then. So as you say, you, you regarded yourself as a mature student from that perspective. What, what were you doing before that uh, precisely? And how did you end up? Because you ended up in the United Kingdom at Stirling University, uh, which yeah. seems to be uh, quite, a, quite a long journey from somewhere down here in the southern tip of the African continent to end up in Stirling, not far from where I am at the moment, in fact. Absolutely. So yeah, so um, yeah, so I was, you know, when when I was, you know, I was in Zambia, then moved to South Africa. My parents moved around quite a lot. Um, and then when I was 20, actually, I moved to the to the UK and I, I lived in Bristol for a while and I did a certificate in wildlife biology. I actually used to work um, at a training centre doing IT training um, and for Airbus, uh, for their employees. And then I, yeah, so then I actually studied in the evenings because uh, I was just really interested in wildlife. And when I first moved to the UK, so I went on like, you know, field study centres, weekend courses to learn about wildlife and I, I volunteered in a wildlife um, since I think I was the only person who was really excited to look after all the hedgehogs uh, because <laughs> so used to it. Um, but everything to me from foxes to badgers you know it was just so exciting and that's actually when I first came across um, actually bats in, in, in care as well um, but then I eventually I did a certificate in wildlife biology um, at Bristol Uni um, part-time over two years while I was working um, and then I as a mature student actually did a zoology degree at uh, Bristol Uni and was very lucky to meet Gareth Jones in the bat lab there. Wow so that's a uh, you, you probably didn't appreciate that quite at the time when you met him but that is probably one of the biggest names internationally when it comes to uh, bat academic work yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was really lucky. And actually, I ended up in my the end of my second year, we had to do a, um, you know, field trip. Um, and so I went to Pembrokeshire and did a bugs, bats and biodiversity um, course. And Gareth actually 
introduced us so at the time the greater you know the greater horseshoe bats that it was actually one of the biggest roosts that they had and he got us to lie down um sort of just near the roost and I was lying down um sort of and there's a row of students we all had our bat detectors with us and this bat just flew straight over my head and just as it, it flapped its wings and I got this you know sort of air on my face and that was me I was absolutely hooked um so so it was great but there was a guy next to me who actually just burped into his bat detector so he didn't quite have the same experience as I did. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, it was life-changing. It, it really, I yeah, I've always quite liked the underdog and I felt that that's got a really hard rap, uh, unfair rap. And so, yeah, I, I yeah, definitely that that trip changed my, my career for sure. Wow. Well, look, I've, I've got to ask you something here because I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to flip around what my experience would have been if I was from Scotland and as a 20-year-old, I ended up in South Africa being interested in wildlife, I would have probably thought to myself, oh my word, I've arrived in paradise or heaven or, or whatever, yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of thinking how I would have felt if I was in South Africa and I ended up in the UK. It kind of I don't know. I mean, obviously you're passionate about wildlife everywhere, but did you not kind of feel that you were being a little bit shortchanged, <laughs> bearing in mind what you would experience where you were from originally? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, the, the nice thing was, so I, there was there was a lot of, um, you know, there was a mammal group in Bristol that I joined. And so I think because I grew up in really in a rural area, um, I, I didn't have the opportunities to, you know, to go and do a night, a night class or to meet up with other groups of people who were interested in similar things with me, apart from, you know, my, my family. Um, so I think, you know, also I love training. I really, really enjoy going on courses. And so I, I just loved it. So I, I kind of, you know, any, any training courses and meetups from BioBlitzers, you know. So I think the UK has such a lot to offer. There's a lot of really passionate um, conservationists. And there's also a lot of lessons to learn of, you know, things that, you know, also the, the destruction that has happened here and, and how people have changed, how they protect, um, you know, bats and other, other species. And I think there's a lot of lessons that we can learn and actually, you know, adapt it to what I like to say, we Africanize things, um, you know, we take... Yeah. Take some of the good lessons um, and then you know make it make it applicable to us locally. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's really good. That's a really nice perspective. If you're enjoying listening to our podcasts, perhaps you would also be interested in joining Batability Club. To find out more about Club, which includes hundreds of hours of accessible training resources available to you in your own time and at your pace compatibility.co.uk Thank you. Of course, here we are uh, years later and I think I think I could possibly describe you at the moment uh, well, you've got various roles uh, in your professional life at the moment. Do you want to just walk us through what you're doing today professionally you know, how do you, how do you earn money? How do you, how do you buy 
wine and feed the dogs <laughs> that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about in a few minutes. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'm currently I'm uh, working on a really exciting project called Species on the Edge, um, and it's the first time. So my my role is through the Back Conservation Trust. Um, so I'm based in in uh, Scotland, um, but I'm actually my time is split between uh, BCT and actually RSPB Scotland. Um, and we're in the development year, so it's the first time seven leading organisations are coming together, working together across seven areas in Scotland, led by Nature Scott. Um, and I'm really lucky for BCT, I'm um, overseeing the Island Wonders project on Sky, and for RSPB I'm working um, on Orkney with a range of other, so we're working with the Butterfly Conservation, uh, Bumblebee Conservation Trust, uh, Amphibian and Reptile Conservation Trust, uh, bug life, plant life. Yeah, so it, it really is very exciting uh, to be involved. So that's where my wine money comes in. <laughs> okay. uh, and then I volunteer uh, with, with Bats Without Borders. So I report into a board. Um, we're all volunteer based. We're a, a micro charity registered in Scotland, um, but our remit is just in Southern Africa. Yeah. So the stuff you're doing under the BCT RSPB umbrella, let's call it, uh, that's not, that's not, bat base, that's across a range, that's across a range of species and habitats, is that correct, yeah? That, that's right, yeah, so actually, but it, we are including bats, so for on Sky, um, my main focus will be actually bat focus, yeah, okay, but okay. also other species too. <laughs> yeah, well, there's not going to be too many, I mean, I've, I've been to Sky batting a few times, and there are definitely a lot of bats in Sky, but I don't remember it being particularly diverse, but... Uh, uh, but you know, but it's a really interesting place, and it's a lovely place to be from a wildlife point of view. Um, you've got your white-tailed seagulls and otters everywhere, and the chances of cetaceans off the the west side in particular, and and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit more about bats without borders, but before we do that, I kind of want to talk about Rachel without bats a little bit. And you've already uh, said that you were born in Zambia. And I worked out via various Facebook things and social media things that I was looking at over the last few days that you're quite big into your rugby. And <laughs> apparently you don't support uh, the Zambia rugby team. You support the Springboks. Uh, explain yourself for goodness sake how can you do that <laughs> so I think although I was I was born in in Zambia I do uh, because I, I grew up in in South Africa I, I, I feel you know more South African I suppose um, okay. but I was you know really um, I grew up you know during apartheid and actually the Nelson Mandela um, you know got behind our first world cup um, and actually I wasn't really into rugby um, until um, Madiba walked out in his in his strip um, and, you know, he had the same top on as a, as a captain, Francois Pina at the time, and actually that they, they won the World Cup in 1995, um, yeah. and it was the first World Cup they'd been into, and it really did overnight actually unite the nation, um, and I think we'd had a lot of, you know, tension, a lot of horrible things happening, um, yeah. so yeah, I think it's, for me, yeah, I, I absolutely, I love it, um, yeah, and it's just, it's just a fantastic sport and really engaging. <laughs> yeah. So... Right, there's a few things there I want to kind of latch on to. We'll focus on the rugby for, for a second, yeah. I'm quite sure there'll be occasions when the Springboks play Zambia in a match. Do you ever feel it even just a little bit of conflict in your mind as to who you want to win? 
Well, I think it's actually, so the Springboks are, are, are just so much, are really a really fantastic team. So right. unfortunately, you know, Zambia, I mean, I definitely would um, support Zambia in other sports, you know, in, in other in other games, but actually Zambia have a, a really good soccer team that won the, you know, African yeah. Cup of Nations. Yeah a few yeah. years ago so and actually the whole country stopped for three days and I wish I was there for that um but yeah there's not a, a lot sort of more uh, the Springboks are more internationally um you know play international so um I do find a little bit of conflict um sometimes if if they're playing you know Scotland <laughs> so I do support okay. Scotland yeah. on my second team yeah. Uh, but yeah but definitely Springboks for me all the way <laughs> okay okay now something else I want to take you back on so I just want to correct me if I'm wrong but you were kind of suggesting there that you were very conscious of apartheid and Nelson Mandela coming on to the, well, he was always on the scene, but coming uh, politically and uh, onto the scene. So you must have a, you must have a perception of a kind of before and after type perception on, on the country. Um, and that, that must be that must be quite. Uh, I don't know what words I want to use here because there's obviously a lot of good stuff going on there, and there's been a lot of really good changes. Uh, but but the, the country has changed colossus, colossally, if that's the right word, immensely uh, in the space of your lifetime. Do you want to just talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. No. Definitely. And I think um, you know I grew up in in a really small um, sort of you know, mine village um, when, I, when I was younger. And um, so a lot of, I think we were sheltered from a lot of the really, you know, horrible political situation that was going on. And, and um, my parents actually sent me to a, a multiracial school, which is very unusual at the time. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, and um, yeah, so certainly my, my dad, um, you know, kind of pushed very hard um, for things to change, you know, in, in the workspace. Um, and uh, but it was you know very very hard time lots of you know really horrendous things happening and uh, you know people being treated you know incredibly badly and I think there's still a legacy from that it's going to take a long time you know there's still a lot of poverty and inequality um, but there's definitely been a lot of of headway um, and certainly you know Nelson Mandela was you know I think in my personal opinion probably the, the best leader the world has ever seen so yeah. you know um, we were very lucky to have him at the start of, of a you know an important change that was much needed. Yeah yeah I mean an outside perspective uh, I'm obviously a lot older than yourself okay and um, people can see that um, but you know from a from a UK perspective um, I'm very conscious how we had uh, decades, almost it felt like, of uh, news stories from South Africa, um, you know, about Nelson Mandela, about the situation that was, things that were happening in the country, and, you know, an awful lot of, uh, you know, political stuff, uh, and an awful lot of it uh, internationally was coming across as bad news and and I can still very vividly remember um, the feelings that even somebody like myself that had no connection with, with uh, South Africa whatsoever uh, but I remember very vividly uh, the feelings of emotion when uh, Nelson Mandela was uh, released from prison and then that whole story that then evolved a uh, you know the period after that when eventually he then became the leader of the country and 
really is quite an amazing, uh, yeah, quite an amazing journey um, for a country uh, as well as for him as an individual. I'm assuming you've seen the film Mandela. Um, yeah, um, is that? A, do you find that as being a, a fair reflection as a South African? Uh, is that is that a fair fair reflection on things? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I think sometimes it's also, you know, you know, they can only, you know, fit in a certain amount um, of, yeah. of what's been happening. But yeah, I think sometimes, I mean, you know, um, it's always hard, you know, unless you're walking in somebody else's shoes to fully understand, you know, their experiences of it. Um, but I, I definitely think that there's also been a lot of positive change. Um, yeah. And I think that, you know, and it's also, and I think that Mandela definitely also reflected on that and actually was very much about collaborating and working together and um yeah. and yeah he was definitely you know an incredible um sort of capacity for, for to forgive um and yeah. so we have, yeah. you know um and i think if it if it wasn't for his capacity for forgiveness and actually putting the country first we would have had a very different situation so um like in, in glasgow also they had you know nelson mandela got the freedom of the city while he was still yeah. actually in prison um, yeah. And, you know, so we actually went to, they have a celebration there every year with um, South African and um, and Scottish artists too. Um, and I, I think it was actually, Glasgow was one of the first um, places uh, Mandela came to when he was actually released from prison, which is also yeah. a very nice connection to Scotland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's uh, talk about something else to do with Rachel without bats. Dogs! <laughs> let's... Uh... What's this all about? Uh, so these are my two little fur babies. So um, right. the one on the top is Soma. So she's a rescue dog from the Edinburgh Dog and Cats home. And okay. she's a staffy whippet. And Blaze at the bottom is um, also a rescue dog from the Glasgow Dogs Trust. And he's a staffy Jack Russell Border Terrier. Okay. And do they travel? Because I know you've been in Malawi. I can never say Malawi properly, but you know, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, did they come with you there? They did, uh, absolutely. Yeah. So they, um, yeah, we were in Malawi for for four years. Um, so we just came back at the end of, of last year. Um, and so yeah, so they went um across with us and actually adapted really quickly. I think that the flight's not nice, um, yeah. but they, you know, they loved the heat and they they loved having a nice big garden and and they've also adapted really well to coming back. Uh, to Scotland now so they love all these nice walks around where we live um, and yeah they're, they're, they're fantastic. You didn't introduce them to any big game or anything like that did you? <laughs> well they did actually they were a little bit silly because they did go running after uh, some baboons when we were on on holiday um, which oh. luckily there was a, a huge male baboon was on the other side of a, of a fence so we were quite lucky um, and we had um, sort of the gardener ran out to chase the baboon away. So yeah. um, at the, the the lodge we were staying at, so we were, yeah. Um, but they, I don't think they kind of realised that they were far too small to take on a big yeah. baboon. Yeah, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I've, I've obviously seen quite a lot of baboons uh, in my trips. And, and I think when you see them on television and stuff, you kind of just think, oh, they're just a, a little small monkey. But when you actually see... Yeah. When you actually see one uh, up close in the wild, you kind of think, "No, I do not want, I do not want to mess with you." <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah. So no, I don't. Yeah, your dogs wouldn't have stood a chance, I suspect, <laughs> on that occasion. <laughs> right. So let's let's talk a little bit about your. Uh, let's go back to uh, your academic uh, life, and. Uh, talk about your PhD that 
he did. There it is for people to look at assessing the distribution of bats in Southern Africa to highlight conservation priorities. Uh, so tell me a little bit about that work and also tell me a little bit about that picture, because this is a picture that I've noticed that appears in a few different places on the internet. So it's obviously a picture you're, you're happy with or you're proud about or there's a story behind it. So go for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, I was very, so my, my PhD um, was at the University of Stirling with uh, Kirsty Park um, and also Gareth Jones was my co-supervisor and Hugo um, Rebello, um, who is based in Portugal. Um, and so I did a lot of um, species distribution modeling and focusing on cave dwelling bats uh, for my field work. And this is a picture of me with Sandy Sowler in the background. And this is my first, what was um, historically uh, Hippocidrus vitatus, now known as Macronectrus vitatus, is our biggest um, insectivorous bat in Southern Africa. And this is the first one I've ever caught. Um, and I was just delighted. This is actually my favorite bat. Um, and I call it Sky Yoda. Uh, so my partner Keith thinks it's a really, not a very good looking bat, but I love it. Um, <laughs> and it, yeah, so it's a chunky bat. Um, and yeah, it's they, they need really big cave systems. So beautiful um, caves and um, yeah, it, it's sort of not known from that many locations. And, um, but I was very lucky because they, they're quite a handful to, to hold and handle. And uh, I was very lucky to have had um, Sandy visiting um, to help me out with some fieldwork in Namibia. And so this, uh, the fieldwork was in the Northern Cape and Namibia and Botswana, and this is us um, in Namibia. Right. So first of all, I noticed you've got the oven gloves on there for that bat. So obviously I'm thinking, um, you know, I'm thinking, okay, normally for bat handling gloves, I wouldn't be using something as chunky as that. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, the bat doesn't actually look that big in the hand here, but actually they are really are. And they, yeah. so this, um, Sandy brought some falconry gloves out, um, and I must admit at the time, I thought maybe it's a bit over the top, but actually you can really still the pressure once once they bite down, um, they, they don't want to let go. Um, and yeah. so these these gloves were just covered in bite marks. And so I was very, very grateful to have the, yeah, if you wore thinner gloves, they just go straight through, um, no problem. Um, so yeah, if they... It's, it's a, it is a beautiful bat though, um, but they're obviously, you know, quite, quite intimidated by us, you know. So what would be the, what would be, I mean, you, you said the scientific names there. Um, do you have an English name? Uh, so it's it's a, a striped, um, striped nosed, uh, sorry, striped um, horseshoe bat. Uh, so they're a, hor they're a horseshoe type species. Leaf nosed, striped leaf nosed bat, sorry. Leaf nosed, yeah, leaf -nosed. okay, that's better. But they're, they're a bit horseshoe like, are they? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so they have, they're similar in horseshoes in that they also echolocate from their noses um, yeah. rather than their mouths. Um, and yeah, so we, there's for, for the for the leaf nose, there's um, also you know quite a variety of sizes. So some are smaller, um, and but this is definitely the the biggest one. We don't have a, a horseshoe that's quite this size. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I can see the I can see the length of that bat in your hand and how it's wider than the glove from head to tail. I mean, it's obviously a big bat. I've been very fortunate to, uh, because I have spent uh, occasionally sometimes in the field with Sandy in Britain, uh, catching bats and handling bats. And she's she's extremely good. She's extremely good. A massive amount of experience there and knowledgeable. But I would imagine that Sandy Sowler in South Africa catching bats is totally in her element and in her comfort zone yeah 
definitely she's incredibly passionate about um sort of you know southern africa uh, well especially south africa she, she's lived there for a long time and did her phd um in KwaZulu natal um, where i'm originally from but yeah no it was i was very lucky because i must say, admit i was a bit intimidated with these bats to hand, handling them the first time but you know um sandy was you know straight in and, and just gave me the confidence um to, to do it so yeah it was great having her there she's yeah like you say she's a great trainer and an incredible role model she's um always been uh, very supportive of me in, personally but also that's that borders and i'm really grateful for that so back to the phd experience um uh, talk us through the experience of that did you find it tough uh, was that a breeze i can't imagine it would be a breeze <laughs> okay uh, you know to talk a little bit about that and of course as a result of the phd uh, you also had a very important uh, academic paper published uh, I think was connected to the PhD, and you were also a Vincent Weir Scientific Award winner. I think you were the Vincent Weir Award winner in 2016, which was the year following the completion of the PhD, I think. So tell us, you know, you're probably, you're probably not comfortable talking about all of this stuff, but tell us what you feel about this. You must be feeling quite proud of yourself, but it, but it wouldn't have been easy. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was actually, if I'm, I'm honest, it was a very, very difficult experience. I mean, I was I was quite lucky in that um, I had seen, uh, I was looking at, um, so I'd started a different PhD um, with Gareth Jones and, and um, our funding kind of um, didn't work out. And um, so then I saw an advert for Stirling University um, and Gareth and Kirsty Park were really keen to work together again. Um, and so uh, Kirsty and I put in an application and we were lucky that the University of Stirling actually funded um, my fees and, and gave me a stipend. Um, okay. But it was really exciting because it was um, my own project. So it followed on from Hugo Rebello's work in Portugal that he had done with, with Gareth, a lot of um, species distribution modeling. And we realized we didn't really know much about bats in, in Southern Africa and we don't know their distribution mostly. So you can actually use very few data points to actually predict where bats are likely to be. And so we were quite interested in in sort of hotspot mapping. And I was working in arid and semi-arid areas, which are often left out just from a pure diversity point of view. Um, so we, we once we got the funding, I just then needed to, to get funding for field work. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a, a tough process. So I had you know six months. I just started the PhD and had to go straight in the field for about six months. Um, and then I came back, um, I was in Scotland for the first time for five months um, and then had to go for about eight months. Um, and for the first two months, I traveled from Cape Town all the way up to the northern part of um, Namibia, visiting different cave sites. And, and myself and my partner, Keith, were living out of a vehicle. So that was quite tough going. Um, but we also had, you know, different volunteers um, coming. So he, he went and volunteered at a community project. And then I had other people helping. Um, but certainly, um, I think in that field season, we had something like 36,000 kilometers to travel because a lot of the cave sites are very far apart. Yeah. So it, it was hard going. Luckily, I love I love driving and it's great to be in very remote, isolated places. So, you know, really lucky for that. But it, it was, you know, really grueling fieldwork. Um, but I think for me that actually the writing up the PhD was the hardest because the way my PhD was, I had to kind of have all the fieldwork done and then um, I wrote it up at the end. Um, and so okay. it was a lot of okay. sitting down, writing it all in. <laughs> it was tough. Yeah. So a couple of things there. Uh, Keith, uh, your partner, I mean, that is immensely supportive for him to have been with you during that entire uh, experience. Um, 
I want to talk a little bit about that because most people wouldn't have been fortunate enough to uh, have a partner that you know would, would do that with them yeah um yeah no you're right he he actually um yeah took a sabbatical two sabbaticals uh, from what he actually resigned and his boss said take a sabbatical so he came for two field trips and he actually then uh, volunteered for the first year in a, a township near where we were living in Cape Town um and actually as a result he's also he changed his career but yeah you're right you know I, I don't think I could have I couldn't have done it without his support he was very uh, very very supportive um you know in the field but also just keeping me going um with uh you know kind of getting it getting it done and, and handed in yeah, so, yeah. yeah and I would imagine because I've traveled through Namibia okay so it's one of my favorite countries uh, Namibia and uh, absolutely loved it. I would, I would go back there in a minute. I've never actually been to South Africa, to be fair, so I can't compare it. Although I've been right up to the South African border uh, and obviously the southern end of Namibia. But I would imagine uh, Keith was probably quite useful because I would imagine you probably had quite a few tyre changes. We, did. we had we had quite a lot yeah so we went along the skeleton coast and we yeah we actually we counted it I think in like 100 kilometers there was over I think 120 tires <laughs> so yeah. that were at the side of the road but yeah we had we had quite a lot um getting stuck in in mud uh, as well during the rainy season okay uh, yeah. yeah digging ourselves out um yeah we had we had a lot of uh, but uh, you know a lot of uh, sort of um good good fun but also quite stressful if you're stuck really remote in a remote area on your own yeah yeah and what, what I what I laughed about because obviously I landed in Namibia okay uh, this was actually quite recently this was my last big holiday actually um and we came out of the airport and there are all, all of these vehicles driving around with extra spare tires strapped to the back of them and I'm thinking what, what what's all this about <laughs> but uh but we very quickly learned what one of us all about. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, an interesting, an interesting place, a lovely place. Okay, let's uh, let's talk about that's without borders. Now, I think as I said earlier, founded in two thousand and thirteen. The website address is up there, an excellent uh, website, by the way, although I think you're saying it's going through a little bit of a, an, an upgrade, an, up, an update at the moment, um, but I'm imagining the web address won't change. And of course, it was back around about 2013, uh, that's when we first met, and I could see the passion and the vision, etc. you had for this, and... And, you know, with a lot of projects like this kind of stuff, uh, a lot of these things are fairly easy to get going at the start because the enthusiasm is there and the idea is there. But here we are, what, nine, eight, nine years later, and it appears from the outside to be going from strength to strength, doing lots of wonderful things. Is this what you envisaged back in 2013? Or is this even better than what you envisaged? Or has it kind of dropped a little bit below the bar? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, yeah, so actually, you know, as you said, you know, you were there kind of the same as Sandy at the, at the start. And actually, I'm not sure if you'll remember, but actually Echoes Ecology were actually our very first corporate sponsors. We just started 
our NGO, which was, you know, fantastic and actually was a massive boost. Um, so I think a lot of people, certainly most of our supporters are, are in the UK um, and we have had quite a lot of support, but it is incredibly difficult getting funding. And I think um, given the fact that we're all volunteer, we're a volunteer based organisation, I am really proud of, of what we've achieved. And we have had, you know, really long term, we've had some volunteers since we started that are still around volunteering their time today. Um, which is great, you know, we and um, Kirsty Park was the head of our board. Um, and now we have Helen uh, Grimble, who is also, you know, incredible support. Um, I think in my mind, I would have hoped that we could have achieved more. I think a big area. So obviously, we wanted to do very much conservation and applied research that would help to inform sort of conservation. Um, and we haven't probably done as much as we would have liked. Um, and capacity strengthening for me is really key for long term um, sustainability. So I'm really passionate about training people up locally. Um, and actually, I, I love, we've had been really lucky to have international people come out and we can learn and, you know, from each other and support each other. Um, but I think, you know, we really need to have it locally. Um, I'm quite chuffed with how, how much we have managed to do. Um, but yeah, I think the sort of certainly funding for us has been quite difficult. And, and you know, it's actually gotten harder, of course, over the last sort of 18 months. Um, but yeah, we're, we're committed to continuing and, you know, to trying sort of to, to make a bigger difference than, than we've, yeah. we've had already. Yeah. And uh, yeah, first of all, um, we were saying before the interview started, I, I had, I obviously remembered very well uh, the first time I met you, uh, and that was when I was the owner and the managing director of Echoes. But I had forgotten uh, until uh, just the last day or two that, uh, Echoes had actually got, and it was only a small amount, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, it wasn't, we didn't, no, it might have only even been 50 quid or 100 quid. I can't remember what it was. Okay, but um, but I'd actually forgotten that bit. I had actually forgotten that bit, um, which was uh, nice. But a couple of things there. You've mentioned that you've got some people uh, involved in Bats Without Borders, and you've said that they're all there as volunteers. But I think uh, without taking anything away from this amazing team that you do have, you have got some pretty big hitters involved in that team. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, arguably, it doesn't come much bigger than some of the people you've got involved in that team. Do you want to, you know, do you want to mention some of these people? Um, yeah. yeah. Sure. So we're very lucky, actually, probably one of the people I admire most in the bat world is actually uh, Paul Racy. Um, so he's one of our bat ambassadors. He's incredibly passionate about uh, bats, very, very passionate about capacity strengthening. So he's one of our ambassadors. Um, Gareth Jones is, an, is another ambassador as well. Um, and also we have, uh, who's probably less known to, to most of, of your audience, is uh, Mark Anderson, who's the CEO for BirdLife South Africa, who's been incredibly supportive um, and is also very passionate about capacity strengthening. And he's he's been a real support. Um, yeah, and we certainly have, um, so we have Oli Razgore on our board, um, Elisa Fuentes-Montemayo, um, Paul Wabala, who's the Batman of Kenya, um, and we have also scientific advisors. We have um, Hugo Ribello from Portugal and also um, Moses Chabessa, who's from Zambia, and Tawangi Gawa from, from Malawi. So, you know, really passionate people about conservation, but also all very keen on capacity strengthening too. So, yeah, we've got yeah. a very lucky team. 
Yeah, and then you add to that, and I think all of these people are mentioned on the Bats Without Borders uh, website, and you appear uh, pretty much at the very bottom of that, almost <laughs> oh, quite shy. You know, I, I'm, I'm kind of scrolling through all of the names and the, the people that are involved. I'm thinking, well, hold on a minute, Rachel founded this organisation. You know, where is she? And yeah, they are, but... Uh, but you know, you, you look at if, if that was a, if that was a if that was a rugby team, okay, <laughs> of the bat expertise for the African continent and even internationally, that would be a pretty impressive uh, rugby team. Yeah, yeah, that 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 would be uh, that would almost be like a, a, that would be something to compete with the Springboks. I would I would think, yeah. Another link actually to, to Echoes Ecology is, is, is one of our longer standing volunteers is actually Elaine Anderson, who actually pretty much started volunteering with us. And she's actually been on our board for quite long. She started as, as an operational volunteer and is now actually our, our treasurer and uh, has been a long term. And also probably, you know, Helen Taylor Boyd from, from Bats in Zambia. She's uh, also those two are our longest two volunteers pretty much since the start as well. Yeah. Wow. Well, obviously, <laughs> I know Elaine very well. I mean, I knew her before she uh, worked for Echoes. Uh, she was one of my uh, licensed trainees. Uh, and then eventually she ended up in Echoes for quite a number of years. And yeah, she's an amazing, amazing person and very passionate about what stuff she gets involved with. So uh, it's really nice to see that she's still there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, Obviously, you know, we are in a world in the moment now that's a very different place to what it was 18 months ago because of the pandemic and, and the linkage, rightly or wrongly, um, that the things to do with COVID, uh, you know, are linked back potentially in some people's eyes, in some people's opinions, to bats. And I was really pleased to see as part of my research for today's interview that Bats Without Borders has uh, put out a statement for your audience and uh, people that might be interacting with yourselves to do with Bats and COVID. And this is quite recent. Well, when I say it's recent, it's May 2020. And I suppose by that, what I mean was it was, it was quite a quick reaction, bearing in mind that things had only been going on properly internationally for a couple of months at that stage, perhaps. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about this and how you feel uh, bats have wrongly perhaps been given a bad press? And I'm using the word perhaps because I'm trying to be diplomatic and I'm trying to kind of say uh, there's still an awful lot out there and people and academics arguing about you know, and conspiracy theories and all kinds of stuff. But give us, give us your take on it, which I think I've read this, and uh, you know, I'm totally supportive of everything you're saying there. Go for it, yeah. Well, I think um, what had happened is, you know, as a knee-jerk reaction, you know, because a, a lot of the newspapers were were rushing, you know, um, to try and find a solution and and um, to understand what had happened, and and I think they were very quick to to point fingers at, at bats without really understanding the full implications of, of what they were saying. I mean, we still now don't fully understand, you know, and like I said, there's still a lot of debate. Um, and it, it might have been that there was a co coronavirus, you know, in a, in a long time back um, that's kind of been, you know, 
uh, mixed into in the mix where we have now, but we don't actually necessarily know. And I think what the important issue was that people felt that bats were spreading the disease. And so there was a lot of negativity across Africa or globally. Um, and actually we were finding that bats were being killed. Um, so I'm on the committee with Bat Conservation Africa, which is an African wide um, sort of network of, of conservationists um, and researchers. And we decided to put out a, this joint statement um, because bats were actually uh, being killed, also trees were being chopped down or set fire to, um, and um, a lot of people were, you know, catapulting bats. And we were just finding, uh, you know, the negativity um, that we already were struggling with um, because of myths and legends was actually escalating. And, you know, also you can then putting people more at risk by actually, you know, killing lots of bats. Um, and certainly in areas because of Ebola, we've also had, we've never had Ebola in Southern Africa, but there's a lot of negativity um, already and people were then killing bats also after the Ebola outbreak. And so I think we felt quite strongly that we needed to, to sort of have a joint voice. Um, and we also put together, a, a, we have Winged Wednesday webinar. We actually had a, a COVID um, a webinar and we actually invited um, you know, a, a panel to discuss it um, and, and chat about it. So we are actually updating um, the, the statement at the minute. Um, but yeah, no, we, were, we, we wanted to get it out quite quickly um, and also to support um, academics who are all trying to fight um, the corner for bats globally yeah so here we are a year on uh, from when uh, this piece of uh, this publication was produced how are you feeling how are you feeling a year on now do you feel as if um that things have swung 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 back a little bit towards being um more appropriate in people's way of thinking i mean obviously there is still a lot of uh, this journey to go, but do you feel as if the reaction now maybe isn't quite as bad as what it might have perceived it might have been a year ago? And any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I mean one of the issues is that we, we you know we've been working with you know different stakeholders like the pest control industry, um, you know who who are actually you know being called into the numbers or being you know are escalating of people wanting bats out of their houses um, and they're often illegally kind of fumigated. Um, there's also still issues of people, you know, killing bats in trees and, and trying to constantly moving them off. Um, so we have a project in the Copper Belt province in Zambia um, where actually a resident is, is defending bats, which is really fantastic. And so we're trying to provide training and we're organizing a focus group um, when things open up a bit to try and understand what because we always say you know we, we assume why people are doing things but we want to really understand and work with the community because you know people are genuinely afraid we need to you know give them the correct information to ensure that they they understand what's going on um and and you know the, any risks that are involved um but i think certainly for us we've seen definitely we've seen an escalation in and a lot more um people killing bats and, and moving bats off and um, I think just as the cases also increase in Southern Africa, you know, people are quite nervous and scared about it. So, um, and certainly I think, unfortunately, the press has played a really negative role um, in, in kind of continuing to, to escalate fears. Yeah, so it's, so it's really important uh, from uh, internationally, you know, for anybody that is uh, involved in bat conservation, we've just got to keep hammering home uh, these messages you know, <laughs> that that the the perception as uh, the layperson would maybe interpret it as uh, 
discussed, as you say in the media, uh, isn't isn't the whole picture. You know, there are there are lots of uh, things that need to be brought into this discussion, and ultimately, it's a it's a human issue. You know, it's not the it's not the bat's fault. It's uh, it's almost certainly a, a human issue that uh, has potentially uh, caused this in some shape or form. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of people didn't realise that it, you know COVID nineteen was being spread from from person to person. So that's actually what we've tried to make more clear in in the new yeah. statement we've done. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. There's been a lot of um, misunderstanding, and I think even you know within the science, as you said, there's still a lot of debate and arguments, and and it's not clear cut. You know um, of, of the messages that that people are getting so a lot of people are confused even who work with bats all the time yeah, yeah. no 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 absolutely 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 right let's move on to something a little bit more uh positive uh, you sent me this picture and i don't know too much about it okay i see a lot of happy faces and i see a lot of people wearing appropriately branded t-shirts <laughs> what's what's all this about uh, ha, ha, how do you manage to make so many people so happy, Rachel? <laughs> <laughs> so I was, uh, you know, really lucky to live in, in Malawi for four years. And um, we actually, we got funding through um, GCRF and the University of Stirling to actually run an early career workshop for, for um, uh, ecologists across Malawi. So there's unfortunately no bat ecologists, um, but a whole range of, of, you know, early career people who don't really get an opportunity. I mean, the problem is it's, it's you know, a lot of families don't see the value in going into ecology, and then there's also not many opportunities. Um, but what we were wanting to do at the workshop is trying to understand the barriers to people um, having a career in ecology or conservation, um, and also, you know, linking people because sometimes it can be quite isolating if you're the only person who's working as an ecologist in, in your area so you know we had people working from you know fish um, to birds uh, to invertebrates um, and it was the first time they'd all managed to come together um, and we partnered actually with as well as the University of Stirling but also BirdLife South Africa um, and so we actually had four really incredible uh, birders uh, as part of our participants. And they were just the opportunity for them to meet um, Hanalin, who's, who's right at the back. Um, and she actually is, is the director of conservation for bird life. Yeah. So Darby. Um, yes, yeah, so that's, that's it. That's Hanalin yeah, okay. there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, they, they managed to go out for a bird walk with her, got an opportunity. We were encouraging them to really ask some, you know, career opportunities uh, and, you know, advice and and yeah, it was just a fantastic. It was a, a residential um, workshop, so we had lots of chances. We even had you know movie nights um, on sort of David Attenborough. Uh, oh, okay, movies. right. I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we we you know there's a fantastic Malawian film um, about a boy who harnessed the wind. So we you know we actually also had different um, yeah different events, but we we basically did some training. There was workshops, there was lots of talks, and actually the participants came up with with challenges that they have, and and then we discussed opportunities and and ways we could go around that. But we wanted to help this to inform our sort of capacity strengthening and. You know, it's not just about bat capacity strengthening, it's actually any ecology and conservation strengthening that we could help to support people locally to, to you know, look after their own wildlife. Uh, and everything's connected to everything else in, in any case, isn't it? I mean, it, you can't, you know, uh, everything's connected. So it's, uh, yeah, that's no, no, lovely. That's absolutely lovely. So 
How did you end up there for four years? What, what was the story behind that? Did you just decide this is something I fancy doing or was there some of our... Uh... Yeah, well, it's actually, so my, my partner, uh, Keith, so when we were, um, whilst, so he changed his career and ended up doing a master's in African international development when I was finishing off my, my PhD. So it was a really fun house <laughs> for that <Yeah>. last year. <laughs> um, and, and then he actually worked for the Scottish Malawi Partnership. So he, he actually did his, his master's project in Malawi, but then he worked for the Scottish Malawi Partnership for three years. And he just fell in love uh, actually with Malawi. And then he actually applied for a job in Glasgow and the company actually said, would you, would you be interested in moving to Malawi? So we just decided to go. So Keith uh, works in sustainable uh, livelihoods um, and looking at sort of human wildlife conflict and supporting communities um, in areas that they might have issues, um, you know, with, with wildlife. Um, wow. so, yeah, so, so that's kind of quite nice because he, he kind of followed you through Namibia as part of your PhD and, uh, and you then, you know, followed him to, uh, to here um, as part of that. And yeah, no. No, really, really. Yeah, nice. I did say to him it's definitely was his time to choose the next location for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, this is a picture that you sent me. Um, I don't know what species of bat that is. It's obviously not an, well, it looks like a, a fruit bat or a, a small flying fox, perhaps, but I'm not 100% certain. Uh, do you want to talk about this picture and what you've got there? Yeah. Yes, I think so. A lot of my work has always been on, on insectivorous bats. And this um, is, I went to uh, Kasanka National Park with the Max Planck Institute. And this is, uh, so uh, for anybody who hasn't been, Kasanka National Park is, is really famous for their straw-coloured fruit bats. Um, and this is the first time I managed to hold a straw-coloured fruit bat, or what we call Eidolon the Great. Um, so these are just absolutely stunning, stunning bats. Um, and because we were there with Max Planck, who were actually tracking them, um, I got an opportunity to, to, yeah, to do some handling, which was great. Yeah. Of what country is that in? This is in Zambia. So that's in Zambia. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, excellent, excellent stuff. So something I do want to say to anybody that's listening, um, please spread the word about Bats Without Borders and it's actually very, very easy to donate to Bats Without Borders these days. Uh, when, when, when Rachel mentions the Echo's uh, small uh, amount we gave back then, I seem to remember I had to write you a cheque or whatever, okay, <laughs> something like that. But, but now this is so simple. You can just go onto the BWB uh, website and you click a link and it takes you to this page here and I'm going to say Rachel okay straight after this interview Batability is going to be logging onto this page and in your name we are going to be donating a hundred pounds to Bats Without Borders okay so uh, so uh, I know it's not a lot but uh, I think that's the very least we can do as a thank you and it's also something that I've been wanting to do anyway. And when we do this, we'll actually put it up on social media that we've done it, not just to tell the world that we're quite nice people, but also perhaps to maybe encourage one or two other people to think, hey, that's something I might do as well. And that's really the prime reason why we would mention it uh, in that instance. So 
yeah so hopefully that's that's okay is it yeah that'd be amazing thank you very much and actually that will go a long way you know we really can do quite a lot with that is a very generous donation so it's, it's not a small amount yeah so we really appreciate it thank you very much Neil. Well, not at all and i really i really appreciate the fact that uh, you know we're here and we're talking and uh, it's just it's been great to kind of connect with you again because i haven't i haven't seen you for uh, quite a number of years and it's just amazing how time flies by but what's next um you're obviously doing this stuff at the moment with the species on the edge you're obviously still very heavily involved with the bwb what i'm gonna kind of force you to think into the future five years from now um, first of all, five years from now, where do you think BWB will be? Do you think it will still be around? Do you think it'll have expanded its, uh, its remit? Because at the moment, it's very much a Southern African beast. I mean, any thoughts on BWB five years from now? Well, I, I hope. Um, so we, we've only had a few sort of internships, um, you know, kind of and, and locally. Um, in, in Malawi we've had and and in um, in Zambia but I'm, I'm really hoping that we can you know it's a, it's a huge subcontinent so you know we, we would love to to be able to expand and do uh, do more especially on the capacity strengthening um, I hope we're still around um, but you know funding is uh, is our limiting factor I think um, you know the fact that we've not been able to have you know staff um, has definitely limited what we're able to do. Um, but certainly our, our remit, um, you know, we, we've got a really fantastic network um, and, you know, that takes time to build good relationships. Um, and so we're, we're quite lucky to have that. And we've, you know, we have got a good team um, and we, we're, we're redoing our sort of strategy at the minute. Um, but certainly I think, you know, being based in the, in the UK also has its advantages um, in terms of, you know, getting more support and expertise that we can actually then um, use in, in Southern Africa. So we'll definitely be going back and doing quite a lot of field work um, and conservation um, advocacy, which is really needed. Um, and certainly, like you said, the, the silver lining, I suppose, of, of COVID is that we've actually got a lot of NGO, conservation NGOs now a bit more interested in bats where we've struggled before. So there has been actually some silver lining um, with that. Um, but yeah, I hope in five years time, um, we'll, be, we'll be sort of upscaling what we're doing now. Um, you know, we're looking at, at having like online platforms again. I think we've never really considered doing as much online work. So I think for a small amount, you know, much smaller amounts of funding, um, we can do a lot more. I certainly traveling around Southern Africa, like I went from Malawi to Kenya for a workshop and it's the same cost as flying back to the UK. So travel costs are really expensive. Um, and I think actually like on online, like what you're doing now and webinars and that we can definitely do a lot more. And so we're, we're exploring that there's different platforms. Yeah, yeah. And you do this thing, I don't know if you do it every week, but you, you, you do have a, a webinar a series or a, a strategy at the moment. Uh, I think I'm right in saying, is that correct? For every so often you do... Is it Wednesday webinars or something? I can't remember. Yeah, we do a winged Wednesday webinar. Wing, that's <laughs> it, winged webinar. Yes. <laughs> they used to be, they used to be um, every two weeks, um, okay. but now we've just stopped them. With, we're doing it once a month, but they're all available also on the YouTube channel for anybody to catch up on. And okay. we realise everybody's got, you know, difficult uh, times, um, but we're hoping to continue them. So we started them last May um, and we're hoping to continue wow. them next year too. Okay. And what about yourself, personal goals for yourself? I mean, obviously, 
I would imagine a lot of your personal goals are tied up with the BWB because it's, uh, you know, because you must be, well, you must be very proud of yourself. If you're not, you should be as to what you've created and the influence that you've had. But do you have any personal goals as to where you see yourself five years from now? Uh, still in Sterling or <laughs> moving or move to another another country in southern africa <laughs> any thoughts on that well i, I think uh, yeah certainly with, with having the dogs it's quite hard to you know to do too much back and forth um but we definitely i would like to spend more time in southern africa but probably have a base in in scotland um myself i'd like to get more um involved in um sort of actually the research and the training side and i think just with running back to that borders has has taken up quite a lot of of time um and so we're hoping you know, to get more support with that um but also yeah so definitely um doing uh, i think just developing because i'm you know because i was a mature student i'm a relatively early career um you know i'd only finished my phd in 2015 um but you know because i've been running about the borders i haven't actually you know been doing that much of my own research so yeah so definitely would like to get more involved um in that and um and definitely supporting student projects is our, our next thing we're trying to actually connect students um across different countries doing you know a similar a topic that we can actually train them together online um, so that's you know I think definitely more capacity strengthening training um, but definitely get in the field and, and uh, catching more bats. Um. Yeah yeah wow good stuff good stuff so I think we're going to take things to an end now and I just want to say oh wow that's been really interesting and I uh, found out a lot more about you uh, in the last what hour or so oh, goodness a little bit more than an hour we've been going about an hour and 20 minutes i think if the clock on the wall is correct i found that really fascinating and i know that if i've found that fascinating and i already knew some of the backstory to the things we we're talking about um kind of pretty sure that anybody else watching this uh, will have found it very interesting and fascinating as well so is there anything you want to say before we close things off? Is there anything I've forgotten to mention? I, you know, people, people might sit there thinking that uh, I've got some sort of interview plan and uh, pre-arranged questions uh, sitting here, but I don't, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, here, here is my shorthand notebook and it's got absolutely nothing on it. Uh, so, so I always worry that I get to the end of these things and I go, Oh no, I was supposed to talk about something or I totally missed something really obvious. Uh, how are you feeling? Have no, you I, I think you, you've yeah. done a great job of, of putting it all together. Um, and it's actually really nice to remind me of some things I'd forgotten about. Um, but that, yeah, no, just, I suppose it's just to, to also thank, you know, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for a lot of people helping me. Um, and, you know, and I, I hope that, you know, I can support other people you know, also getting into bats um, and conservation. And yeah, just, just thank you very much for, for your time and, and the invitation. We hope you enjoyed this Talking Bat interview, which is an edited audio-only version of the original video session. The full version, including video, is available via Batability Club, our online training platform. To find out more about Club, go to batability.co.uk. Till next time, thank you.